0: Let's take our Bibles together we'll turn to the book of Romans thank you for sticking it out with me musicians God bless you Amen. man book of Romans chapter 8 I did forget to mention one thing that is if you do sign up for acting um, you will be uh, also involved in helping write the script Tweaking it to whatever the likes of your character, what you feel it should be, just so you know. Amen. Romans chapter 8. Let's just bow our heads together and have a word of prayer. If you want the Lord to speak to you tonight, why don't you just show him that and raise your hand and say, Lord, why don't you come by my way? Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, my own hand is raised. Lord, I want you to come and speak tonight. Father, don't let it just be the words of a man, but Lord, we know you're real. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. You are God and you change not. And Lord, if we could just surrender, lay down our own will, Lord, and let you come and have your way. Lord, nothing is impossible with you. Amen. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would just come and speak to the needs of these young people, Lord, and Lord, would you just uh, speak to our hearts, Lord God, answer the questions we may have. And Lord, just move on our hearts, Lord, to cause us to drink, Lord, from the well of grace, Lord, that's flowing out from Calvary, Lord. And Father, we just love you. We want to commit the service to you, the word that we read that is very precious to our hearts, Lord. We ask that you'd make it live within us. Father, we love you now in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Romans chapter 8. I've told Brother Isaac, we're not going to put the words up on the screen. So we didn't do a sword drill. We didn't do anything like that. So this is your sword drill. Keep your Bibles handy. Romans chapter 8 and verse, uh, let's start at 14 actually. Verse 14. It says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. I wonder if we could read that sentence together, starting at that. That we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also, we may be also glorified together. Amen. May the Lord a blessing to the Lord. You may have your seats. Amen. As you can see, our, my title up there, this is really the start of of young people's this year, and as I mentioned even over the pulpit not long ago, my burden on my heart is that you would know Jehovah as your father. And how Jehovah relates to you that we are the children of God. And I decided to title tonight our loving heavenly father because really that's what he is. It's not just that he's a loving father, but he's our loving heavenly father and furthermore love is be, goes beyond what as we know as we most of us have been in the message a long time or we've we've followed this way and we've read our bibles and we've read the writings and the message of william branham the prophet to this day and we know that love is not just a doughty love that just comes down and it's just, oh, everybody's okay and everything's wonderful and we just love everybody. That's not the love of God. That's human sympathy and human compassion. But the love of God is that God would have compassion on whom he will have compassion. And that he will judge whom he will judge. And that he will uh, help those whom he will help. But uh, for a father, he's a loving heavenly father. And that is that he will correct when he needs to be corrected. And it's done out of love. It's not done out of, out of hatred or malice or entertainment. It's done because he loves you and he wants you to be right. He wants you to do right. Therefore, he has to put you through things or allow you to go through things that are not easy sometimes to comprehend. But he does that because he loves you, because he wants you to know what it is to overcome, and he wants you to have character. He wants you. In other words, what character really is, is it's a victory. It's uh, the fact in order to have a victory, you have to have a battle. Caesar didn't walk in victorious into Rome just uh, with nothing. No army behind him. No battle-scarred veterans. He just walked in when day. I'm victorious. No, there was battle-scarred veterans to prove that he had fought a battle. There was, there was prisoners to prove that something had happened. There was territory that was taken. There was people that perhaps were even outraged because their territory, they felt, was taken off of them. But he had to fight a battle in order to get a victory to become the man that we all know Caesar to be, whether we know him to be good or whether we know him to be evil. That's not the point right now. But rather, for you, there has to be battles faced in order for you to have character. There has to be trials. There has to be trials. There has to be hard times. There has to be correction in order for you to have the character of Christ. In order for you to know Christ who uh, learned obedience through the things that he suffered. It wasn't just that he was born a perfect birth. He was. But yet he had to learn, he had to go through a childhood, he had to go through being a young person, he had to go into his, adult, um, his adulthood until finally he got to a place where his ministry, his earthly ministry began to start at 30 years old. He wasn't there at sixteen, at fourteen, at fifteen, though age is nothing to God, but rather he had to learn something before he could be brought, so the fullness of the glory of God could be on display fully through him. He had to suffer. Yeah. Amen. But now in Romans chapter 8, we read, as we read in verse 15, it says we have not received the spirit of fear again, or a fear of a fear of bondage again to fear. But we've received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father, which is to say, Father, Father. So now the new birth or receiving the spirit of God to birth you, it isn't the spirit of fear or a fear that God would crush you if you didn't listen. It's not a fear that God would would, would do some horrible thing to you if you didn't obey him. He says we didn't receive the spirit of that bondage. That's not the spirit we receive. That's a religious spirit. That's a religious, a denominational even spirit that gets on to people. That they feel like if I don't just do it just this way, God will not honor me. But you see, he's a heavenly father that we read it together. We are the children of God. Amen. I know none of you here other than myself and Brother Jared are fathers. So that I know of. So here we are going to talk to you a little bit about being a father. I'm going to invite Brother Jared to come. No, I'm just kidding. You don't. Make him a little nervous. (laughs) No, but it's it's something about it's a displaying of a character individual in, in an individual to be a father. But Jesus here Paul sorry begins to write in Romans saying we are the children of God. We are his children. Which means it's not just that we're his friends. It's not just that we're his acquaintances. But he says you have a relation, a blood relation with him. And that it goes it goes beyond just an acquaintance level, but it's that you are a child of God. He loves you as a child, and he doesn't give you a spirit. Could you imagine the childhood? And there are some today that have had a childhood that, 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 that where they're living in constant fear of their father. Yeah. He'll beat me. He'll chastise me. He'll just Every time I make a wrong mistake, he just chews me out, and he just whips me and all these things. What a horrible thing. Yeah. What a horrible home to grow up in. Yeah. God, raise your hand. How many of you would love to grow up in a house like that? Put my hands in my pockets just to prove a point. I would hate it. I would not enjoy it at all. If you give me less volume, brother, on the on the monitor, that'd be great. As I've said before, I don't like the sound of my own voice. But here, here we we don't want to grow up in a sound like in in a home like that. We don't want to grow up in a place where our fathers beating us and all these things. That's a spirit of bondage. It cripples a child to where they they, they become crushed and they they can't properly express themselves anymore because their spirit within them gets crushed because of fear. But But Paul is writing, I'm just trying to make it very simple to you. Paul is writing and saying, we didn't receive that spirit. That's not the kind of children we are. That's not the kind of father he is. We've received the spirit of adoption. In other words, that God would love us so much. That if it was up to him, he would take you. That no matter of all the things that you've done, let me look at adoption for a moment the way the world looks at adoption. That is that you adopt a child. Okay, and the child is already born to a different set of parents. The child already has what we would perhaps call, they've already got a a portion of of genetics that perhaps aren't very good. Or some of them are good and some of them aren't good. The child is already born that way. You can't change that. Perhaps he's growing up a little bit and maybe he's a little bit older. I know of a couple personally that that adopted a nine-year-old boy. He's already got nine years of his life under his belt. Nine years of mistakes. Nine years of perhaps bad attitude. Nine years of, of bad parenting. Nine years of something going on. But still he's saying that even though you perhaps have gone through years and years of going up in the wrong direction. This spirit is a spirit of adoption where he says, I'm willing to look over all of that to pull you to myself. That I love you so much that I want you to call me Father, Father. I want you to look to me as your Father. Oh, praise be to God. It's a spirit that changes your outlook. Perhaps it changes you from being one who is spiritually orphaned in other words, you've got no leadership where you're going spiritually. You don't know what's around the next corner. You don't understand. You say, well, I was raised in the message home. I got pretty good parents. Praise the Lord. I'm talking deeper than that tonight. I'm going beyond your natural parents tonight into a heavenly father. Like he could be our father, our mother, our sister, our brother. Amen. We want to get into all of that eventually. <laughs> but tonight we want to focus on the father. That he is our heavenly father. And that, that, that perhaps there are some of us that are, are spiritually orphaned or are spiritually orphaned. In other words, we don't have any leadership, any guidance in where we're going, what we're doing. In other words, we're just going on the internet, looking onto YouTube, looking onto other sites, buying any book we can get in any, any uh, bookstore or any online store to try and find some sort of direction for our spiritual walk. You find a lot of people like that today that they got all kinds of different books and they're trying to figure something out. And every time they look into the, the, the Bible, they're still confused. Well, because they don't know the author. They don't know the loving Heavenly Father who's there to try and give you guidance and tell you what direction you should go. That's what a father's for, those of you who have good fathers, that you could go to him even in your own natural life. He's there for a purpose. He's there to help lead you, to help guide you in life. So when you come to him and say, I don't know which direction I should turn. Should I go to university? Should I stay and work full time in this job? And he would perhaps be able to sit you down and counsel you and give you some advice in what the right direction would be to go. Right If you're an orphan, you don't got nobody. You're just, I I hope this is the right direction. I hope this is the right way. Any son and daughter, son or daughter who has a real father, strives to make their father proud. I did as a child. I know a lot of you do. You strive to make your father proud. You want him to say, I'm proud of you. You want him to say, good job. You want him to say, I like what you did there. You want him to say these kind of things. Amen? That's quiet. A few of you like that. A few of you don't care, apparently. (laughs) I know you do. Just quiet, thinking about it. You care what your father thinks about you. Even if you're going through a stage that perhaps is a rebellious stage, there's still a, something within you that wants your father to be proud of what you're doing. And even a rebellious child, I went through rebellious stages too, don't worry, but even a rebellious child will do something and he'll get to such a point where finally he'll look at that and say, I'm just trying to prove to you that what I'm doing is right. And when you see the end result, you'll be proud of me. It can get that way as, as a child that you're feeling like, man, if you just give me a second, I'll prove to you that, that I'm doing the right thing and you're going to be so proud of what I accomplished. What is it? It's something in the child, something in you, especially boys, that want to try and make their father proud. And they'll go to great lengths to do it. I've been there, I know. But now let's flip that to the spiritual here because the natural always types the spiritual. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I said, this is your sword drill. Get your Bibles out. I'm not going to go too fast tonight. We'll get to where we get to. I already said this is kind of just setting this tone for, for this year. I've got a service right now, and I've got more coming up. So I know if the Lord tarries, we'll get it all out eventually. I was listening on the way here, thinking about that, actually. And Brother Branham says, he says, you know, Says I preached on Job one time. He says for a whole year. So don't worry, I can preach on Jehovah for a whole year. You know what? You can write me letters and ask me when I'm going to get off Jehovah. Same way some sister wrote him a letter and said, "When are you going to get Job off the ash heap?" I probably have a similar response. Don't worry. Amen. First Corinthians chapter nine, verse twenty-four. It says, know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. Now, if you look at it naturally speaking, you want the prize, right? I don't enter a race. I don't go down to track and field one day or Whatever you're in, but track and field, will say. And I don't go down there and say, "All right, I'm going to run the 500 meter race. I'm going to run this marathon. I'm going to put my body through all kinds of torture. I'm going to be the best at it." And you know, if I come in third place, I really don't care. No, the point of joining was I want to win. The point of being there is I want to be the best. I want to win the race. I want the prize. I want to be able to go home and daddy be proud of me or mommy and daddy sitting on the sideline cheering me on. I want them to say, go son, you can do it. You won the race. Look at my son. That's my boy up there on the podium. That's what you want. Or that's my girl up there on the podium. She did it. Yeah. That's what you want when you play. I play basketball. I play volleyball. I wanted when my dad was there, man, those were the best games ever. I wanted to be the top scoring guy. I wanted to be there. I'd take the ball off anybody. I'd go bulldoze through everybody because my daddy was there. I wanted to make him proud. I wanted to make sure I got home that one of the things he taught me about basketball, I said, yeah, you got that right. I wasn't that good, but I tried. All right. But now he says this. That's about running the race. But he says, and every man that striveth for, to, for the mastery of temperate things, t- for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now, they do do it to obtain a corruptible crown. And he's saying this, every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. In other words, if you're going to strive to be the master of something, you're not just going to peak in one thing. You're not just going to be a specialist in. I'm going to run the 500 meter, but those first 100 meters, I'm going to be so far ahead of everybody else. He's not temperate in all things. He's not a master of the race. He's ran those first 100 meters, but pretty soon... It's 500 meter, five hundred meters, five thousand meters long, whatever it is. It's a long race. It yeah. doesn't matter how far ahead you are halfway done. What about at the end of the race? Yeah. Yeah. Right? There's nothing more disappointing than saying, I'm a sprinter. I made it to the best way all the way halfway there. I was out front and then I lost. That's a terrible feeling. But he says to be a master of it. If you're looking for mastery in it, he says you got to be temperate in all things. He said, but those—that's them—that obtain a corruptible crown. And he types it right over, and he says, but we an incorruptible. He says, for I therefore so run not as uncertainty, so fight I not as one who beateth the air. Praise the Lord. And I want to just grasping at straws and hoping that what I believe is true. Hoping that when I'm fighting the devil, hoping that when I'm taking God at his word, hoping that I'm overcoming, just beating at the air. He says, no, I do it of a certainty. Amen. And now he's talking about spiritual things, but he says, but I keep under my body. And bring it into subjection. Lest by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Now, that's not just to the preachers. That's to everybody. You ever talk to somebody about the Lord? You ever witness to anybody? You just try. Go one day and say, you know, let's, let's say you just can't help. You, just, you're, you got a spirit on you that just can't help but lying. And you go witness to somebody and say, you know, a real Christian shouldn't lie, but I'm a real Christian. He's looking at you like... But you're lying. See, he says, you, you've been brought, usually you yourself would be a castaway. He said they're not going to listen to you. Even God himself is saying, you're condemning yourself. That's a real blatant example. But now he's saying, listen, I, I keep my body under subjection so that I may please the heavenly Father. I'm not running after the lusts of my flesh because I'm, I'm there to, to run a race to strive that even in a spiritual race you have to keep your natural body under subjection. If you want to go to what Jesus says in Luke chapter 13 verse 34. It says strive to enter in at the straight gate. Strive. Run, strive. What does striving mean here? To strive for something is to make efforts, to use exertions, to endeavor with earnestness, to labor hard to, to ap- applicable to exertions of the body or the mind. A workman strives to perform his task before another. A student strives to excel his fellows in improvement. Strive, he says, strive to enter at the straight gate. Yeah. Try your best, it's exert yourself. It can be very hard. Yeah. Straight is the gate, narrow is the way that leadeth to life, broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. You can roll down the hill all the way to destruction. It's not hard. How many ever has kids get up on the top of a hill and just roll down it? Yeah? You guys are all like sophisticated out here. Nobody's done it. Come on, how many y'all got up on top of the hill, Don't tucked your arms in and pff, rolled on down? As a kid, that's like, this is the greatest thing ever. I'm dizzy. Everything's awesome. Right? That's the, that's the way a kid thinks. That's the way it is to the way of destruction. You don't have to strive. I, I got children. I got, a, I, got a, I got a sledding hill in my own backyard. They love sledding down the hill. It's so much fun. But then when it comes to going back up the hill, it's like, Daddy, pull me on the sled. Daddy, carry me. Daddy, get me. But she's getting up the top. Yeah, let's go down again. Woo, this is great. What happened? It's an exertion. It's something that's hard. And for them, you know, as they say, when I was a kid, the snow was up to here, right? Well, yeah, because they're this tall. And the snow is up to here on them. So to them, I mean, they're going through the snow like this. It's hard. It's an exertion. It's It's difficult. Sometimes that's the way it is as a child in the Word of God. that You look at someone that's been preaching a long time, longer than I've been, you're like, man, he just knows his way in and out of the Scripture. Everything's wonderful. This is amazing. How does he pull these things out of the Word of God? Why? The snow's not up to here anymore. It's gone down a ways. He's gotten taller a bit. But when you're just a child, he's like, man, this is so difficult. But it says, Strive exert yourself, do what you have to do to enter in at the straight gate do what you have to do to get to Jesus do what you have to do to get in the word, to pray sometimes it's an exertion even to pray anyone that's ever prayed knows that it's an exertion sometimes all I'm doing is getting on my knees and praying, yeah, give yourself five minutes you're asleep you don't have to put your hand up but I'll be honest, I've done that Like, oh, i got to pray so bad. You get on your knees. Then you wake up two hours later like, I prayed for two hours. (laughs) The Lord knows. No, you didn't. You slept for two hours. (laughs) All right, we broke the tension. Good. But that that happens because it's an exertion. To get on your knees when you're tired and close your eyes and begin to call on Jehovah. Begin to call on God. Begin to ask Him for the, your needs. Begin to lay out all of the things that happened to you that day or things because you've had a long day. But He says strive. It's not always easy. It's not always a broad way. It's not always a downhill path. It's straight. It's hard. You can make it though. Amen. I think you understand that now. Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter therein and shall not be able. Why weren't they able? They didn't strive. Striving and seeking is two different things. You can seek for something. I looked for my keys and I gave up. Didn't make it to young people's. You say that because you're all here, y'all made it. Found your keys. Praise the Lord. If you had lost. But we found that that that's just seeking. I'm seeking for something. You got other you got young men are like, I'm seeking for a wife. Oh, what you doing to seek for a wife? The white one, white one will come in the door. Okay. That's not striving, that's seeking. You got young sisters. So I'm young people here. I'm seeking for a husband. What are you doing to seek? I pray once in a while. Okay. That's good. Keep that up. Do it more. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell the sisters, go get a husband. No, don't do that. Amen. Amen. Strive that you enter in. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. Let's get to Jehovah, shall we? Our Heavenly Father. And over Brother Ed read these scriptures on Wednesday night, and he was reading some scriptures. I was like, man, that's the scriptures I had picked out. So, if it seems like I'm re-preaching what he preached, it's because he preached what I was going to preach. Cool. Genesis chapter 2, verse 3. It says, in God, we could read through chapter 1. I'm sure there's, everyone here has read Genesis chapter 1 at least once. <coughs> Amen. You've read through at least that many times and you know it just says, and God created, and God created, and God created, and God created, right? But now it comes down to chapter 2 and verse 3. It says, and God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God... Now it changes. Right? It was always God, God, God. Now it's the Lord God. And it begins it stays that way now. The Lord God made the heaven, made the earth and the heavens and every plant in the field before it was in the earth and every herb of the field before it grew for the Lord God the Lord God had not see, caused it to rain upon the earth for there was not a man to till the ground. But there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Now, this is the moment here where God, or as we should say, the Lord God, He created the body, as our our bodies are made out of sixteen elements. Where the, it's just the dust of the earth. That our bodies come from. That's why we eat things that came from the earth. Something has to die in order for you to live. Right? Whether it be a plant. Whether it be an animal. Whether it be whatever it may be. Something that was alive has to die so you can consume it and eat. And so that you can have life. It, that's, that's the way it is. Why? And all of those things, they came from the dust of the earth. No matter what they were. They came from that. And then they, they, they came and they lived. And then they died in this so that you could come and you could eat more dust of the earth. It's true. So next time you're eating that amazing salmon fillet, it's just dust of the earth. Or that beautiful steak that you like, it's just dust of the earth. Change the taste a little bit for you. (laughs) Doesn't seem so nice anymore. But that's what it is. But, but God, so what did he do? He took out of the clay, took out of the dust, and he created man, a body, so he could step in, and man became a living soul. But in all of this, it was the Lord God. In other words, it was God. The Lord God is to say, Jehovah. Genesis 2, when he made man, he said, I'm Yahweh, which is the Hebrew, Jehovah. What did it mean? I am the all existence one who made and has created something off of myself to be a son of mine. Okay, so this is the very first time that God changes his uh, how he is known. That God reveals himself in a greater way. It was always God, this great God up here. But now he says that he's coming down as Jehovah, as Yahweh, that he's created something off himself. And what's the first thing he creates? A son. As the Lord God, he begins to, he breeze into the dust, and he creates a body so that he could have a relationship with children. So God's an incredible father. He's had 6,000 years of experience. Plus, he's eternal and he knows all things and he's omniscient. And I on- would go on and on and on. But he's a knowing father, he's a loving father. Yeah. But here he created a son where he says that he had created something off of myself to be a son of mine or a temporary or an amateur little one of mine. Yeah. <laughs> glory. He gave man, Jehovah means that he gave man to be an amateur God because he is Father God. He made a man an amateur God, so he isn't self-existent anymore. When the Bible says in chapter 1, God created, that's actually saying Elohim created. The self-existent one. That he was alone with his thoughts. And he was there. He was the Elohim. He was self-existing. But it goes beyond that now. He begins to reveal himself in a deeper way. Which is to say, I am Jehovah. I am Yahweh. He exists with his family. Now he's Jehovah. One who exists with his family. What was his family at this moment in time? It was a son. And he was both male and female still at this moment yeah. in his spirit. Then, he says, God made man to be the predominant over all the earth. He had dominion. He, was, uh, he and the earth was man's dominion. So that scripture says, then if that was his dominion, then he was God over the earth. He could speak, and it would be so. He could speak this, and it would be so. Oh, there He is, God, Jehovah, the one who once existed in self-existence, but now exists with His family, and His little ones are with Him. That's Jehovah. Praise be to God that he's no longer God way up yonder, Elohimself existing in some other stratosphere somewhere. No, he's Jehovah God existing with his family. In other words, he has an interest in a relationship with his children. Now let's jump down, if you would, with me. You're still at Genesis chapter 2, open in verse 18. Verse 18 writes, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make and help me for him. Notice this here's the Lord God where he's come down. He's Jehovah existing with his family, but still he says that man is alone. In other words, man doesn't have an equal with him, he doesn't have someone that he considers his partner. He's still looking at Jehovah, it's a father. Right, he's a loving father, but God so cared about his children that he says, I want someone on his level.
1: Oh, my.
0: And it says in verse 19, out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every fowl of the air, and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all the cattle and the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field for but for Adam there was not found an helpmeet for him Notice it says that out of the ground God formed every beast so in other words the very first being that he created was man He had already planted the seeds for all these other things he created All the seeds were there he'd spoken it into existence Just the same way, on the sixth day, he created man. Then on the seventh day, he rested. Then after that, he then formed a body for that man. Now you come down so much later, now he creates the bodies for the dog. He creates the body for the cat. He creates the body for the cattle. He creates the body for the birds, the robins, all of these things. What is it? See, God, he's coming in, and he's bringing it to Adam, saying, Are these your equal? And Adam's going, There's nothing here for me. I'm naming it all, but none of these are my peers. Let me just say this for a moment. He had a dog, he had a cat, and I'm sure he enjoyed them. I'm sure he enjoyed the cows and the pigs and all of these things, they were an enjoyment. He had a pet lion. I'm sure he enjoyed it. He had pet monkeys. I'm sure he was enjoying it. But in all of it, nothing could take the place of a companionship on the same peer level as that he was on. He had a father that was still all-knowing and omnipotent, and Adam was not. But then now he had children. He had these ones below him that were animals that couldn't come up to his level. Yeah. Even the serpent. Couldn't come up to his level. Oh, I hope you catch that right there. But now, it says, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep, verse 21, to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. Oh my. In other words, she is equal with me. She is what I am. She's flesh of my flesh. She's bone of my bone. This is my peer. This is my companion. Finally, I have something that can come to the level that I'm at. Hallelujah. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked and the man and his wife and were not ashamed. As we know, there's a veil that veiled them. But now God noticed it wasn't good for man to be alone. Jehovah caring for his children. Even though Jehovah would come down in the cool of the evening. Now I know you all liked it when I said he had a pet lion. He had pet monkeys. that, that, That sounds cool. But beyond that, God himself. Jehovah came down in the cool of the evening and would walk with him. And would talk with him. Oh my, that goes beyond anything else. But yet still, God looked at him and said, He's not complete. He's still alone. He cared so deeply about Adam that he cared about his relationships. He cared about who Adam associated with. He didn't just look at him and like, oh my, he didn't look at him and say, Well, isn't the serpent good enough? Isn't the dog good enough? He's man's best friend. Come on. He's good enough for you. Isn't the cat good enough? Isn't the this good enough? Isn't the that good enough? Look what I created for you. What's your problem, son? God cared so much for a man that literally had everything that he said, I want to give him everything else. I want to give him more of himself even. He created a woman right out of his own flesh. Sorry, I'm trying not to get into preaching too much. I just want to lay the word in for you, and I hope you're catching what I'm saying. Amen. He cares about who you associate yourself with. Amen. He's still the same Jehovah today. We quoted at the beginning, Hebrews 13.8. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. Praise be to God. In other words, he still cares who you associate with. He cares who you marry. He cares who your best friend is. He cares who you think your enemy is. Oh yeah, he does care who you think your enemy is. Adam and Eve had no idea the serpent would be so easily caught up under the influence of the devil. They perhaps didn't have any idea that it would be Lucifer that would come down into the garden through a serpent that they trusted in so much. But God cared for them so much. He cared about their relationships. He cared about who they were hanging out with. He instructed them. He said, oh, you can eat of any tree of the garden, but of that one tree, don't eat of that. He wasn't just a terrible, forgetful father. Just after they'd done eating and after they'd done, done the sin of what they did, and we know what they did, but now, after they've done it, they go, oh, yeah, right. Forgot to tell you. Don't do that. No. He's a loving Father. He always gives warning before judgment. He always gives you fair warning to say, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, because those are things that are appalling to me, and I will have to judge you for them. He told Israel plainly in the laws of Gorilla in Exodus, I think it's chapter 28 or around there, Gorilla, where he says, if you do this, if you do this, if you do this, if you do this, I'll have you kicked out of the land. And again and again and again, Israel just went ahead and did it anyways. But he was such a loving father, he brought about, what did he bring about? A judge that would come and by the mighty hand, the sovereign tender hand of Jehovah would deliver them again and deliver them again and deliver them again and deliver them again. Oh, don't be as disobedient children. He cares. Let's go over to Jeremiah chapter 29. Actually, let's go to Hebrews chapter 12. We'll just skip Jeremiah 29, brother Ed read that one on Wednesday. If you weren't there, I know it's on the podcast. You're welcome to go and listen to it. It was a phenomenal service. Really, really I told Brother Ed today, we spoke on the phone, and I said, Brother, you could have taken the crosshairs off my forehead at some point in time. I know if he was speaking to you, I mean, he was really speaking to me. I needed that service. Amen. It's one thing we lack if we could just be more sincere. Hebrews chapter 12, he started to get into this, but he didn't get too far into it, so we'll take it up here, and maybe we'll close here. We'll see Getting yeah, no, on no time. You still with me? You need to stand up and stretch ring These young people's right, we can... No? All right, good. Give you a chance. Hebrews chapter twelve. verse, uh verse four. Says, ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Verse 5 says, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto grown-ups. No, it says, As unto children. My son. You put your own self in there if you're a sister. My daughter. Despise not thou the chastenings of the Lord. Nor faint thou when thou art rebuked. Of him. The proverb says a sharp rebuke is better than a secret love. Isn't that against Hollywood today? All kinds of shows and things about secret love, love triangles, and this and that going on. I say, oh, it's, it's so romantic, it's a secret love. He says a sharp rebuke is better than that. It says, and for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Which son does he receive? Let me ask you that question. It's simple. You have received the spirit of adoption. So he receives every son that comes according to the formula of Acts 2 and 38, which says repent. Step one. Repent. Real repentance, godly sorrow for sin, and turn away from it. To really truly repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ the mission of sin. And you shall receive the Holy Ghost. Right? And the promise is unto you and to your children and to them that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. But we know that that's, that's the formula that he's saying, I'll receive anyone that comes to me the right way. That comes to me according to my word that's willing to humble themselves and put themselves up in the adoption process. Willing to fill out the paperwork, so to speak, and say, yeah, I'm up for adoption. I'm sick of my parents. I'm sick of this devil that's trying to beat me and whip me, and I got some kind of spirit of fear going on. I want a new father. I want a loving, heavenly father that cares for me deeply. Sign the paper. What do you mean, sign the paper? Repent. Be baptized. Do what the Word of God has commanded you to do. And he says, I will fill you. In other words, I will receive you. But because he's received you, what does he do? That's right. He chasteneth and scourges you. And if you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? Not. But if you be without chastisement, whereof are all our partakers, then ye are, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much much rather be in subjection to the father of spirits and live? It says for they verily for a few days chasteneth after their own pleasure. But he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, now, no chastisement for the present seemeth to be joyous. Praise God. Just go ask Brother Ron Spencer. Isn't it so happy and amazing what you're going through? No, I've heard report after report. It's hard. But God, I'm overcoming by the grace of God. I'm taking God at his word. And you know what? He's been overcoming and overcoming and overcoming. Praise be to God. But he's not going to stand there and say, oh, it was the most amazing thing I've ever been through in my flesh. No. It was hard. It is hard. It's hard for any one of us that go through things. I've been through things spiritually and naturally that I'm like, man, what am I doing? Why why is this happening this way? Why, Why is my life seemingly upside down? Anyways, nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them that are exercised thereby. Now, let's just stay on this for a few moments and then we'll wrap it up. Why did your earthy father discipline you? It's a good father, it wasn't for his amusement. The Bible says after their own pleasure, not for their own pleasure. This means they disciplined you because they believed it would make you a better person. More, They believed it would make you more in the image of what they thought would make a good son or a good daughter. That's why I discipline my children. It's not because I enjoy it. I most certainly don't. And I can't stand having to discipline them. But you have to do it. Because you have to teach them right. And you have to teach them What's wrong? I know myself as a child. My goodness, I I got all kinds of spankings. Amen, Brother Philip. Got all kinds of spankings. Say it this way. I got 11 lashes, save one. With a belt. Being very honest with you. Wow, your dad's a terrible person. No, looking back at it, I deserved every one of those. If my son did the same thing, I don't know if I'd stop at 10. I deserved it, but it was for a purpose. Let me tell you something. I've never forgot that to this day. There's never been a day in my life that I've looked at and said, oh, was there ever a time? No, I don't think my dad, no. I knew. I know exactly what I did, exactly what the punishment was, and it made me a better person because I'll never do that again. Yeah. See, I'm a, you're a grown man, Brother Andrew. Your daddy can't speak to you anymore. I don't care. I will never do that again. He could try, but it might not work out so good. <laughs> but I still, I wouldn't do that. Why? Because it was trained into me. It was something that, after his own pleasure, what he thought was the right discipline, and as harsh as it was, I'm going to be honest with you, it was the right discipline. Because I have not forgotten it to this day, and I'm not bitter about it. I'm telling you for a purpose to help you to understand that I needed that. Every spanking I ever got, every talking to, every washing out of my mouth with soap. Yep, I had that too. Every time I got grounded to my bedroom for a day. Bernard, you were a terrible kid. Sometimes God comes by our way. As I said this, I said to a few people, "Say, they say, I'm so happy Jesus came to my ditch. If you want to know who I was as a child, I was not the prim and proper, the best of the best. Of the no. I was the ditch child. That because some rich kid was fed with a silver spoon said no to the way of the Lord, Jesus came by my way. That's my revelation. That Jesus came to me where I was at. No matter how bad I was, he said, I've still given you the spirit of adoption. And no matter what you did, no matter how bad it got, no matter what kind of terrible past you had, there was something in you that I put in you before the foundation of the world. And I'm giving you the spirit of adoption so that you can, no matter what your father was like, no matter, I mean, spiritually speaking, your devil father, no matter what that was like, I'm adopting you out of that. I'm giving you a spirit that is bringing you out of those things, out of those ways. This isn't the new birth is the adoption, but it's the spirit of adoption. See, it's a spirit in you that changes you from that old nature. You ask any adopted child in the natural that's adopted, first day of adoption, he doesn't go, Daddy. An adopted child doesn't do that. It takes time to build trust, to build relationship, where finally the child begins to say, Father. Begins to call him dad and daddy. It's no different in the spiritual. God bless you, brother. That Finally, we get to that point where he gives us a spirit. What's that spirit for? It's to mold us. It's to shape us. It's to tutor us. So we can come and to understand who he is according to his word. Because that's who he is. And finally, we can see father. Father. No matter what the past was, this is my Father. Your earthly fathers, they didn't hit you for entertainment or for amusement. It was because they wanted to make you a better person. He was always there for you. Your natural father, if you had a good father. I know a lot of you have had a good father. Name your fathers. Go down, brother Harold, brother Ed, brother, brother Marion, brother. Oh my, the Jared, the David. The Tito. The Dan. Right? The Tim. The Mike. The Ray. The Uva. The Ben. You've had all these fathers. The Thomas. You've had fathers. That they were there for you. When you needed something, they were there for you. They would stand by your side. They would be there for you. They would be there to to understand what you're going through, to give you advice in order to even protect you when protection was needed. They were there for that purpose. Maxwell, it's your daddy's name too. I know that because he's junior. God bless you, buddy. He was there for you to give advice, to instruct, to explain. Why he chastises you. I trust your dad did that for you. That's what a real father does. When I sit down with my children, if I have to discipline them, I don't just throw them in the room. No. I sit down with them and I talk with them. Have a conversation with them. Why would you do what you do? Why did this happen? Do you know why daddy's got to discipline you? You know my daddy's got to spank you? You know why daddy's got to, got to ground you? You know my daddy's got to put you in your bedroom for a while? You know why these things have to happen? Because I have to teach you what's right. I have to teach you that what you did was wrong. I need you to remember that because otherwise tomorrow you'll go out and do the exact same thing again. Oh, I could really preach on that actually for a few moments, but we won't. So sometimes, sometimes I'll say this to you if you feel like, man, that never happened to me. Let me just put it back on yourself before you start looking at your dad. Maybe you never asked. Maybe you should sit down and ask, Dad, why'd you do this? Why'd you do that? Maybe he's got answers for you that you don't understand. I know it's quiet, that's okay. All these natural instructions from your natural father are for a purpose to make you a better individual because it's simply, it is, it's simple correction. Or advice, sometimes it stings a little. A mother's different. A mother's very comforting, very loving in all times. She has a mother's love. It's it's her baby. Right? I learned that at the graduation. Even though they're graduating, it's still their baby. It's It's still that one. that I'm holding on to him. I'm holding on to her. That's a mother. That's the way a mother's love is. A father's not like that. Father's not looking at it and saying, oh, but that's just my little buddy. You know, he's just perfect in all of his ways. No, he has a purpose that he says, this is what I want my children to be like. I want to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, according to Ephesians chapter 5. I want them to do that. I want them to have respect for the father and the mother. You say, why are you talking about fathers and mothers? I'm talking about fathers and mothers because it pertains to you according to your relationship with Jehovah. How much Jehovah, the Almighty who dwells with his family, he wants his attributes to be in the image that he had before the beginning of the world. That you are an attribute. If you're predestined, you're an attribute of God. You were in the mind of God before the foundation of the world. And he didn't have you there as a sloppy whatever flying by the seat of your pants. He had you there as a perfect son or daughter of God. Because you're in the thoughts of God and God does not have evil thoughts. He says, my thoughts of you are good of an expected end. That's what we were going to read in Jeremiah, I think. But those are the thoughts that he has of you. He has good thoughts because the, the thoughts he has of his attributes are that he wants you to come into that image. So even when there's chastisement and there's things that happen and trials that come your way that seem like, man, God must hate me. Sometimes it seems that way. I know we're all taught right. right? We're good Christian children that we don't think that way because mommy and daddy have taught us day in and day out and day in and day out, God does not hate you, God loves you. You sat in a message church and you've heard that God does not hate you, God loves you, but there's still times when you get to such a place in your life where you feel like God does not care. But he told you in his word, my thoughts of you are good. I brought you here for a purpose because I have a good thought about you, that I know that if I put you through this, if I make you crash your car and you barely come out the other side, I'm doing it for a reason. If I make you lose your job and you feel like I can't get another one, he's doing it for a reason. If he makes it so your girlfriend or your boyfriend breaks it off with you and you're like, man, I thought that was the one. Thank you. But it just didn't happen. Why? God has a purpose in it. There ain't nothing under the sun that God isn't looking at as a father, as Jehovah, that he's dwelling with his family. Amen. It's okay. You can laugh. I thought it was funny too. Perfect timing. Brother Dwayne for you. Perfect timing. Proud of you, buddy. Amen. <laughs> hey, Let me just be a little relaxed, trying to. He wants his attributes to be in the image of what he had. Therefore, he will chastise his children after his own pleasure. As the Bible says, for our profit. it doesn't seem that way because we're busy carnally minded, right? We get that way sometimes. We're so carnally minded. Man, I lost my job. How's this for my profit? I want profits. I want revenue. I want money, dollars coming in. That's profit. Nope. God doesn't look at that as profit. No, He has another scripture for that. His Bible says, "The love of money is the root of all evil." So God never looks at money and says that's profit. No, God looks on the heart. And he looks at character. He says over here in, in Revelations, and he says it over here in Revelations chapter 3, where he says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold. No, not money, gold. Tried in the fire. Not that kind, but character. That thou mayest be rich and white raiment, the righteousness of God. That thou mayest be clothed, that, thou, that the shame of thy nakedness does not appear, and anoint thine eyes with the eye salve. Seek these things. God is saying, this is what I'm looking for. This is profit. This is revenue. This is what I'm looking at as of a good countenance. If you're seeking these things. Hallelujah. Jehovah chastising his children for their benefit. To bring them to a place where they, you and I, can best display the nature that we were intended to display. Let me say it this way to help you. You were never intended to display the nature of your natural father or natural mother. That's just the family you were born into. God watched over it all the way down through to make sure you were born into that family so you'd receive a certain something in you, a certain set of genetics in you, so that when he came by your way and his nature came with you, that his spirit would bear witness with our spirit, that's the part there, our spirit. That now is what is what His spirit is coming down, and it is it is uh, uh, filtering through, so that that is what is on display to the world. The way He speaks to you in your heart, that's not on display to the world. That's between you and God. But now it has to come out, and it comes out through your spirit, whether it be words. Whether it be a life lived, actions, all of those things. That's how it's displayed to others. It bears witness. A witness is something that is displayed, a witness is something that others can see. Amen. Galatians chapter 3, verse 23. Jehovah, God, Elohim, who dwells with His family. No,pe not Elohim, because that's the self existing one. God who dwells with His family, the Almighty, dwells with His family. We're dealing with just Jehovah, God who dwells with our, with His family. We know that there's seven redemptive names of Jehovah. Jehovah Ra and Jehovah Shammah and Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Jireh. All of these things. Those are all series in themselves. So we'll get there. Don't worry. I haven't forgotten about it. Those of you who are spiritually minded. What are you going to talk about this, Brother Andrew? We'll get there. Galatians chapter 3, verse 23. says, But before faith Came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Therefore, the law was our schoolmasters to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. Now, I want to type this for a bit because he's taking this at at a large spiritual scale, and I want to bring this down to you. The law, that's your parents. That They taught you right and wrong. They disciplined you when you were wrong. They rewarded you when you were right, right? You want to make daddy proud. They told you that when you were right. And when they made them proud, they made sure you knew, I'm proud of you. And the law, that was what brought us to Christ. That's a parent's responsibility. Is to bring the children to Christ. The world is so miscontorted, let me just say it this way the world has so misconstrued parenthood that they feel like the most important thing you could do is give your child clothing and food and shelter and love. Those things are good. And any good parent should give their children. But the most important thing any parent can do is to bring them to Christ. But that's what your parents were there. That was the schoolmaster to bring you there. That you may be justified by faith. Now that's no longer the law. Now that's something in you. That you now have to come. And the very thing that daddy and mommy, the Sunday school teacher, the preacher, the, the song leader, all of these ones have been teaching you and teaching you. Now all of a sudden you begin to take it and believe it for yourself. That you could be justified by faith. But after the faith has come, you're no longer under the schoolmaster. In other words, you could come to a place of faith where you're no longer looking as your parents, as father, mother, as somebody up there, but now it's brother, sister. That's a wonderful thing. When you could finally come and that's I believe that all of you I believe one day could come to that place where you're no longer looking at your earthly parents saying that's just my father, that's just my mother and they're so far beyond me but rather you could come up to a level of faith that you could say that's my brother, that's my sister in the Lord and I'll respect them as a daughter of God, as a son of God which goes far beyond the way you respect a father and a mother. If that doesn't say something about how you treat one another Because there is no greater respect outside of the respect for God than what you should have for a brother in Christ and for a sister in Christ. Because you're not respecting a person, you're respecting God in them. Alright, that was free apparently, because I don't know where that came from. For ye all, ye are all, verse 26, the children of God, because Brother Andrew says so. Not even close. He says, you're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. In other words, it has to come beyond what mommy told me, what daddy told me, beyond the tradition. I was talking to my wife about it today, about, about some people that are in the fringes of the message, and they, they said, but she said, but they wear skirts, and they don't cut their hair, and things like that, and the men are clean. I says, yeah, that's tradition. You can live the message do's and don'ts out of tradition. That's what the Pharisees did in Jesus' day. They had the Torah. They had the Bible that you and I read. And they lived it completely out of tradition. Because Jesus said, he said, on the outside, my, you look great. But on the inside, it's evil. On the heart. But he says, listen, you are all children of God. By faith in Christ Jesus, you've got to come to that place where you recognize, Father, Father. For as many as you have have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. How are you baptized into Christ? In the water? No. By one spirit. Are we all baptized into one body? There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. I'll catch that last statement right there. You can under, properly understand feminine and masculine equality. In Christ, there is neither male nor female. In other words, there is no, because I'm a man, I'm way up here. And because you're a sister, you're way down here. There is none of that. He says it's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Whether you're a man, whether you're a woman, to God it doesn't matter. He's able to come and reveal himself to you and to give you revelation so that you can walk and live in him in faith. It's not, oh, it's got to be a preacher. It's got to be, I'm going to marry a husband one day. He's going to know everything. He's going to have all the revelation, right? And you're going to marry that one. Oh, it's going to be amazing. No. God wants to reveal himself to you, sister. To bring you up to the adoption of a daughter of God. To bring you up to perfection. It's not just men going in a rapture. It's sisters going in a rapture. It's brothers going in a rapture. They're saying in Christ it's not male and female and Jew and Greek and Gentile bond and free. And this one's better than that one. No. It's an even playing field because it's by faith. If you be in Christ then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise read one quote for you, and then we'll close. It says in the message, we would see Jesus. It's the same thing tonight by the Holy Ghost. God, on the day of Pentecost, that pillar of fire broke into many tongues of fire, forks of tongues, and God was separating himself among the people. That day, God was in one person, Christ, and now he's in the entire church, universal. He says, boy, that makes me feel religious. Praise to Jehovah God. I believe he says things in a certain way for a reason. Doesn't just say, Praise be to Elohim. No, praise be to Jehovah God. Because what was happening when this all went out? It was God coming down, Jehovah revealing himself right down into a many membered body of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah! Don't let me scare you," he says. "I'm not crazy. Just leave me the way." He says, "I'm not crazy, but if I am, just leave me the way I am." I'll say amen to that. I feel better this way. He says, "Think of it. Something thrills me that by the grace of Jesus Christ, I'm saved tonight. If He comes, to that what difference does it make? We'll go with Him, worth more than all the billions of worlds piled full of everything, and enough life to live a hundred million years." What's he saying? He said, listen, if I could have all of that, he says, I still wouldn't trade places with that person at all. To be adopted into the family of God, to be one of his children, what a privilege. And people turn their back upon such a thing as that. My but people would turn their back and say, oh, no, I don't want it. He says, listen, you could give me eternal, not eternal, but you could give me millions of years of life and millions of worlds to live on. You could give me all kinds of things. Listen, that's what they're trying to achieve in the world today. They're trying to achieve finding another world. They're trying to achieve how to get immortal life. They're trying to achieve all of these things. He says, you could give me all of that, but just to be adopted into the, into the family of God is worth more to me than all of that. Just to have a father that cares that much for me, that he's willing to forget all the past as will justify you as though you never did it in the first place. Yes.
1: Oh, hallelujah.
0: Yes. Think about it in Acts, in Acts chapter two verse three, says, "And there appeared unto them cloven tongues of fire, and they were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues. The Spirit gave them utterance, "What a heavenly Father that he'll even speak for you." He's not out there to leave his children high and dry. He's not out there to leave you and say, I don't know what to say, I don't know what to say. No, if you're a true child of God, if you've been adopted into the family of God, he says, I'll let the Spirit give you utterance. If you need more scriptures last 1 Corinthians 1, verse 4 to 6. Colossians 4, verse 2 to 4. Ephesians 6, verse 19 and 20. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 7. In case you just don't have enough scriptures to say, He will give you utterance. He will speak for you. He is a heavenly Father that will come and speak on your behalf. The other place is take no thought what you should say if you're brought before men. Because the God, the Spirit, will give you utterance. He'll give you words to speak. He'll give you something to say. Oh, praise be to God. I want a father like that. I want a father that's willing to speak for me. That's not going to, I'm not going to look at his son and say, I don't like what he did there. You're on your own now. Because we're all human, right? We all make mistakes. We all at some point displease our heavenly father. Let me just be honest with you, the other day, yesterday night, Landon was in a bit of trouble. So you know what I made him do? I was studying for the service. He sat in the chair next to me and studied with me. See, that it's not much of a punishment. Well, for a kid, six-year-old kid, he wants to go play. That's boring. But I sat him in the chair. I said, no, you're going you're to hear tomorrow's service. And then we got down on our knees, and we began to pray. And I don't know if he was listening or not, but I just began to pray. I said, Lord, I'm sorry that I haven't been a very good son. I'm sorry that I failed you. There's times I haven't made you proud. There's times that I haven't done things right. I've disobeyed your word, and sometimes I've done things that you said don't do. Lord, I'm sorry. I had to bring it to a place with my own son so we'd recognize I've got a father. You've got a father that you have to go to and repent and say, God, I'm sorry. Help me to do what's right. I know you love me, and you won't leave me out here to dry, but you'll bring me back to your bosom. You'll receive me because I'm coming with a penitent spirit. Hallelujah. Let's stand to our feet. I just encourage you tonight, if you don't know him as Father, get to know him that way. There is no better thing. He cares about your relationships. He cares about that you would have a husband one day or a wife one day. He cares about who your friends are. He'll make sure he leads and guides you. Why did did Adam receive those things? Because he had a father that he walked with and he talked with. He shared all of his cares, all of his needs, all of his burdens. I'm positive that Adam, when he walked with the Lord, he had a lot of questions. Sometimes it seems that way as us, doesn't it? I just got a lot of questions, Brother Andrew. I just always oh, asking the Lord about this and asking about that. It just seems like I don't even answer. I don't know. The Bible doesn't record how long it was between the beginning of Genesis 2 and the end of Genesis 2. It doesn't record. But I'm sure it was a space of time that Adam walked in the Garden of Eden, there was a space of time that Adam had fellowship with the serpent. There was a space of time that he enjoyed all of these animals. There was a space of time that he had alone with God. That's where it started. That he blew into the dust and created a man, a body, and he allowed man to step into it. and He became a living soul. And there was a space of time before the animals had bodies. It was just God and Adam. So what about the angels and all these things? No, we're talking about in the garden of Eden. In the garden that God had planted. Down here where God would come down, Jehovah, and dwell with his family, dwell with his son, and begin to speak with him. And Adam would begin to express to him his desires. I'm so lonely when you're not here, Lord. I'm so lonely and alone when you're not around. I just walk about the garden and I'm, I'm tearing I'm, I'm tilling the ground or I, I'm, I'm tending to the fruit and I'm tending to all these things and I enjoy it. It's all beautiful. but God, I, I want to be with somebody all the time. God so cared for him so much. He said, all right, here's a frog. Here's a, here's a mouse. Here's a rabbit. Here's a little bunny. Oh, he liked all those things. Here's a lion. Here's a dog. Here's a cat. Here's a this. Here's a that. Here's a giraffe. Here's a rhinoceros. Here's an elephant. I don't know what all was there, but he created all of these animals. He gave them all there. Still, Adams, something in his heart that God says, he's still alone. Because there was a fellowship there. He knew him as father and son. There was a relationship. Finally, he said, all right, go to bed, son. (laughs) I say that a lot these days. Go to bed, son. He put Adam into a deep sleep and created a woman because he cared. Because he's a loving heavenly father. He loves you. He cares for you. No matter how big or how small, how deep or how shallow, he cares. Scripture says he cares. Do you care? Cast all your cares on him. He cares for you. Amen. Let's just bow our heads together. There's another portion where we started in Romans chapter 8, verse 14 says, Essentially, that as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. He's a Heavenly Father that gives you direction. He leads you. He guides you. He makes sure you have a direction that you're going. He keeps you going that way. Heavenly Father, Lord, we don't want to say that lightly. It's just we say it as some heavenly God out there. But Lord, you're Jehovah, Yahweh. Father that dwells right with your family. Right amongst the young people, Lord, that you care for us. You care what job we have. You care what we're studying in school, university, high school, junior high, whatever we're in. Lord, you care about those things. You care about our, our tests next week. You care about the things that we're going through. You care about our jobs. You care about our acquaintances, Lord. You care about our companions. You care about our husband, our wife, Lord. You care about these things. This isn't something that to you, you just, like, well, let what be, will be. No, whatever happens, happens. It's not your attitude, Lord. Father your attitude is oh God that you care for us if we just come to you and cast all our cares down at your feet you care for us oh God Lord, your Father, Lord, you want us to come to you. You want us to ask. You want us to wonder why. Are you, why am I going through this? Lord, would you show me the purpose, Father? I pray that you reveal yourself to the young people, not just tonight, but this year, oh God. That you draw us closer to you, Lord. That we would be a church on fire for you. I really believe it's you that dropped it in my heart, oh God. There will be youth in the rapture. There will be those that are young people that come to perfection. Oh, God, I believe I'm looking at them. Lord, I pray that you would be be real to them. Lord, you are a caring, loving, heavenly Father that desires to dwell one on one with each one that's here tonight. Father, we just commit ourselves to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. I have
1: a maker before he my heart and before even, even time began my life was in his hands he knows your hands. he knows, knows Every thought. He knows my every thought. He, he sees each tear that me falls, and He hears me, me, me when I cry. I fall. have a Father. He calls me His own. I. Have
0: line he hears me when I call he's listening he hears from heaven and he's wanting to answer every prayer if you just trust only belief. there's a song that was sung by the by the Ron Peterson's young people sang it it was a blessing to me he's a good good father I'm not going to try and sing it. Don't worry. He says, he's a good, good father. That's who he is. That's who he is. He's not a horrible, terrible father. That's not how the song goes. He says, he's a good, good father. Those that are his children have a claim on him. What Bram talks about, he says, I, I got certain titles, he said, but I, I'm a husband to my wife. I'm a father to my children. He says, my children don't have claim on me as a husband. He says, but my children have claim on me as a father. They've got a claim. They've got a certain uh, right that they can come to him, that they can go to their father. You know in your family how your family dynamic works and how your father is and treats you. You have a certain right that you can go to him and ask him certain something, and he will do it. For my sons, they know. I'll just give you something simple. They know if their bike's broken, they can bring it to daddy. It's their right. They know daddy's not going to charge them money. Daddy's not going to make them do chores to fix their bike. It's their right. I'm their father. I want to take care of them. They want a bike. I want to fix their bike. It's something I enjoy doing, actually, and I love fixing things, building things, all these things. As a man, I'm that way, but it's something that I like doing They have a right. But all the time, they want to say, daddy, I want to sleep in your bed. They don't have no right for that. They don't have, they're not my wife. They're my children. They got their own bed. They don't got a right on my bed. Amen? That's how it is. They got a claim on me as father. They can look at me and say, Daddy, I'm hungry. Daddy, I'm thirsty. I need something to eat. I need something to drink. I need a little money for this. I need this certain thing. I need the school supply. I need something. They got a right on me for that. But they're not my wife. They don't got a right on me for the things my wife has a right you got a right as a child to go to God and say, God, Jehovah, I got a need. I feel a little broken. I feel a little dry. You got a right to come and take God at His word. Don't you love Him? Why don't we sing that song together? We'll just pick it up a little bit. How great is our God? The splendor of a king.
1: The splendor of a king.